Welcome into the Draft Report Podcast. I'm Jack Borowski, joined here alongside my co-host, Sam Teets. On this episode, we review last year's rookie receiver class, preview the upcoming 2024 receiver class before finishing off the episode with the top prospects we've watched recently. So Sam, originally, we were going to do receiver, receiver, receiver. That was it for the show. No quarterback talk. And then Daniel Jeremiah, as good as it gets in the industry, we talk about him a lot says on Twitter yesterday, quote, I believe we'll see four to five teams looking to moving up for a quarterback over the next few months. Teams aren't excited about next year's class. So the first thing that's confusing to me is I thought quarterbacks were going one, two, three with Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, and whatever order it may be. And then afterwards, I thought if you put any of these quarterbacks in the 2025 class, they wouldn't even really be top three. (laughs) So that's the thing that confuses me when I originally uh, heard that. And then you hear some rumblings. Maybe the Patriots are looking to trade out of three. They're not, they don't want to take a quarterback. And then Dane Brugler says JJ McCarthy is a top 12 lock. And you still see Bo Nix in the first round a lot. I think those are the five that have a shot. Michael Penix, I think, with the medicals uh, and just tape as well, won't end up as a first-round pick. Um, and, and, and nor will a, a Spencer Rattler. So I think we're going to see four to five. I didn't expect it to be super early. And I'm confused with the talk that next year's class is so bad, which is why they're going to overvalue Nix and McCarthy. Yeah, well, Quinn Ewers is in next year's class, and you know you love him, so you can't possibly view next year's class as being that no. bad. But And Cam Ward's in there for me, so we both have our guys next year we like. But to your point, I do think at this point we're talking about McCarthy being seriously taken in the top half of the first round. I don't know if top 12 makes sense, considering where we've seen some quarterbacks fall. The NFL's gotten better at not reaching for quarterbacks in recent years. Uh, but... I think we're at the point where it feels like McCarthy's train towards being a first half of the first round lock at this point. We already know the top three guys. The question mark is going to be, will there be a fifth quarterback that goes that high? I don't think either of us believes there should be. And frankly, looking at what happened down in Mobile, reviewing the tape, or even watching it live, I don't think either of us felt like we were watching a first round quarterback when we were at the Senior Bowl. I don't think any NFL teams would have felt that way. So I, I still think while Bo Nix gets mocked in the first round quite often, he's probably going to be a late first round pick at best. If he gets that high, I don't think he should. Uh, I just find it very confusing that after everything that's happened, that Nix would still somehow end up being a first round pick would surprise me quite a bit. So I think we're still looking at primarily four quarterbacks. McCarthy's going to get overdrafted a bit. And like you said, the interesting part is going to be what do the Patriots do? Because I think we're at the point where we're looking at the top three teams. We know two of them really need quarterbacks. Frankly, three of them need quarterbacks. But the Patriots just have their own way of doing things sometimes. It's a little bit weird. They have a new head coach, obviously. There's maybe one viable quarterback out there on the free agent market, that being Kirk Cousins. Who knows where he ends up? Uh, if he goes to one of these teams, yeah, they could absolutely trade trade out their pick. But you've got Chicago, who I think is drafting a quarterback and probably moving off Justin Fields. We've got Washington. We know doesn't have a starting quarterback on their roster right now based on how Sam Howell has played. They've got a new head coach coming in the building. They're probably drafting quarterback. Then you got New England with a new head coach who we feel after this past year with Bayless Zappi and Mac Jones doesn't have a starting quarterback on their roster either. 
I I think it would be a mistake for either of these teams, for any of these teams to trade out of the top three picks. Unless you were getting Kirk Cousins and you felt 100% safe on the medicals, that's the only option I see in which not drafting a quarterback makes sense. I saw Daniel Jeremiah say something about Justin Fields to the Patriots and you know trading the 34th pick for him. I don't. I mean, I, I think this this Fields thing because, and he uh, Jeremiah even mentioned because of how poor their quarterback play has been for forever that they've seen mediocrity at best from Justin Fields and feel like oh he's a guy and I I think. Other, I really just see the landing spot being Atlanta. They're kind of stuck in no man's land, being that they have the eighth pick. And we thought, you know, one, two, three would be quarterback. Maybe they're the one who trades up to three to take Jaden Daniels, uh, which would be awesome for them. I just assume that the Patriots would want to take one. Uh, so I, I think that they were the landing spot for Fields. I think he's become incredibly overrated because. And this happens a lot, overrated or underrated, based off of what you thought of them pre-draft. We we all like Justin Fields pre-draft, but he's an entirely different quarterback than what he was in college. And he hasn't been very good. He had some moments last year. But, you know, how often do we see these quarterbacks? You know, I just remember the last one being Sam Darnold was the one that went for multiple day two draft picks. And it was the same pro- player that he was with the Jets as the, as he was with the Panthers. I, I, I don't see it working out. I, I don't think it makes sense. Atlanta, I don't hate. What are they going to do if they can't trade up to three? And then another piece that nobody ever talks about in the fallout of this is Mac Jones. Uh, I, I wonder if someone would take a shot on him. You know, he was really solid as a rookie where he had Josh McDaniels and pieces around him. And then you gave him Matt Patricia and Joe Judge as his you know, quarterback coaches and really no one outside of Jacoby Myers to throw to for the rest of his tenure. And then this past year, they had easily, you could argue, the worst you know, offense in, in the NFL. He, again, like why I know Fields showed more recently. I think the Bears are you know, 10 times the offense that the Patriots had. I mean, truly had no talent. Uh, I wonder if a team, you know, kicks the tires on him. It doesn't seem like it's going to take half. You know, if you got to trade multiple day two picks to get Justin Fields, I'd take a day three, uh, you know, trade a day three pick to get Mac Jones as a flyer if I've got some pieces uh, around me offensively. Just, you know, why not? If we're going to do this with Justin Fields, why is it any different uh, with Mac Jones? Fields is obviously a better runner, but I, I think the passing uh, is is just so inconsistent. I have so many concerns there. Uh, just my my thoughts. I think Mac Jones has a forgotten man who hasn't been good in a little bit, but he, went, he made the playoffs as a rookie. You know, it was wasn't bad then. Yeah, I just think we might be living in a world where both these guys are are backup caliber yeah. quarterbacks or journeymen throughout <laughs> the rest of their careers, and we might be hanging on to some of the potential we've seen for them early in their careers at this point. I know a lot of people are still very high on Justin Fields. And he has improved every year he's been in the NFL, but we're talking about a guy who still probably is not a top 16 quarterback in the NFL. At the very least, not a top 12 quarterback at this point, entering year four, never thrown for more than 2,600 passing yards. I know it's like, that's box score scouting. I get that. 
But the reality is in the NFL, you have to have volume passing at this point if you want to win football games. And Justin Fields has never been that volume passer, frankly. Uh, even throwing his rushing totals, it's just not enough right now to have a full fledged offense. And he's got injury, he's got an injury history at this point. Like he's been banged up every year to some extent. So I just think that's if I'm one of those teams up there in the top like three to seven picks, I'm not betting on Justin Fields being my guy personally. The only team that I could see doing potentially would be, like you said, Atlanta, who's at eight right now, because they might not have a shot to trade up that high. And frankly, they might not love McCarthy. Now, now granted, they might try to sit tight at eight and hope they get McCarthy. Uh, But we'll see with that. It's just a very confusing situation because it feels like there's Three quarterbacks we know are first-rounders. We don't feel great about any of the rest of them. And it's probably going to be some overdraft picks, some really crazy trades for maybe backup caliber quarterbacks that end up starting most of the year next year anyways. So it's just going to be a wild ride. I'd be stunned if Bo Nix ends up being a first-round pick based off of the past two years. 2022-2023 draft. I don't think anyone's taking Bo Nix in the first round. I think... Maybe they know someone who, you know, Brugler called up a GM of a team like Atlanta. He calls up Terry Fonson and he's like, we're taking J.J. McCarthy if he gets there, but we think the Giants are taking him at six. I mean, this is all crazy to me. I think last year, if Will Levis doesn't go in the first round, I don't know why uh, another T... I, 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 and also, I don't think the drop-off from McCarthy... So then Knicks to Penix is so crazy that why would we take uh, McCarthy at 12 when we could maybe maneuver our way to get Knicks at the top of the second or just stand, stay put, take Penix. And I'm not a fan of Knicks or Penix. I just worry about as a GM, I'm going to bet my career on J.J. McCarthy. I guess George uh, Payton with, with the... Broncos is kind of already a, a sitting duck in that you traded for Russell Wilson. You have so many high cap guys right now. They really don't have much they can do. And if you're starting Jared Stidham next year, you're probably going to be a really bad team. And does it, the ownership give you another shot to take a quarterback at the top next year? Or do you just you know put all your cards on McCarthy at 12? Right, like that's that's where you had to do, and I think McCarthy could do what operate that offense well. What uh, Peyton, uh, Sean Payton likes to do, I just think it's really high for a quarterback who's never been asked to do anything in his college career and his tape down the stretch. So he managed the game well against Ohio State, I guess, but his tape in the playoffs it wasn't even that good. It wasn't like oh they didn't ask him to do much when they did ask him to do anything. His accuracy was kind of spotty. Uh, yeah, there was a couple of really poor decisions. Uh, he won more with his legs than with his arm, and I don't really see that being uh, a huge aspect of his game in the NFL. I, I think that he definitely like physically isn't there. He's very skinny still. I just I don't I don't know how Levis isn't a first round pick with all the teams that needed a quarterback, but JJ McCarthy is this top twelve block. And granted, on draft night we thought Levis was going you know at worst you know eleven to Tennessee. Yeah, so it's just a very confusing quarterback situation. I'm sure we'll have a really 
Well, I said I'm sure we're going to have a better feeling, but like you just said, we thought Love was still going to be a first-round pick this time last week, like the night of the draft last year. So maybe we won't know what's going to happen, but I think we will figure stuff out here in the next two months that will give us a better idea of what we're looking at come draft night. No, yeah, just this, you know, Justin Fields thing has gotten a little out of hand. Um, I, I don't see any way that the Bears don't take a quarterback. I don't think it's like, right, like everyone seems to be like it's a lock that it's Caleb. I don't think it's a lock Caleb Drake jaded. I think there could be some shuffling in that order. I don't know what it is, but I don't think that's the lock part. I think Justin Fields is not a Chicago Bear. Ryan Poles did not draft him. If you stick with Fields, then you have to give him the fifth-year option if he doesn't play well next year, which is a huge possibility. Like, there's a very solid chance he does not play well next year. You're gone as a GM. Right, like people don't understand. This is not franchise mode. This is his job, and is he going to pass up on three quarterbacks we think are very good players for Justin Fields because he showed a little bit down the stretch last year? I mean, there were some good games thrown in there, but he didn't take him. He has no obligation to Fields. We don't even know if he ever liked Fields. Uh, you know, he gave him last year. And uh, they still ended up with the ninth pick. If they lose again, Poles is gone. If Caleb Williams shows anything, you, you buy yourself three, four more years. And God forbid he's the quarterback that we think he could be, which is a franchise-altering player and someone who's going to be uh, a top five to ten quarterback in the NFL. And if it's Drake or Jaden, uh, you know, not as high as Jaden as the other two, but all three, I think, uh, give you a better shot to keep your job and then, uh, you can go and do a lot of things with the ninth pick or trade up, try and get another wide receiver. Uh, you know, there's a lot. If you get you get more picks for Justin Fields, you're right, you can recoup a second, then use that in the ninth pick to move up and then other assets. Uh, I think you know, fit, pick five with the Chargers could be in play. So uh, there's a lot you can do if you take Caleb Williams one and then trade Justin Fields. So uh, enough quarterback talk. Uh, we, we're moving on to the wide receivers. We're going to start with this past 2023 wide receiver class that was deemed to be horrible. And then uh, Puka Nakua goes down, has the best uh, season for a rookie wide receiver of all time. Thanks to Sean McVay. It's it's funny when you think about it, you know, how many teams would he, he have even had close to that success level? I don't know. I, I, I He's a very good player. You put it on his film and he's, you know, there were times I remember watching Julius Brents, Juju Brents, the corner for the Colts. And this was like week five, just going through his film, seeing how he was looking uh, you know, or something week six, week seven. I can't remember. And I was like, wow, Puka Nakua is good. Like, I, yeah, you, you see the highlights and you see the, the uh, stats. And like, yeah, yeah, Sean McVay offense. You're like, no, no, he is as good as it gets. But uh, where were you at going back and looking at it with Puka Nakua? I didn't meet like he was a guy. I heard some rumblings about when he was at Washington, like, oh, he could be a solid receiver. And then if I'm being honest, through his injury history and everything, and then just, you know, BYU being uh, playing when they do and just and not being that interesting of a team, I never really watched him much. But uh, where were you at with Puka Nakua pre-draft? Yeah, so Puka, I gave him a late fourth to mid-fifth round grade. Uh, he got nicked up during the senior bowl, but he was having a good week there, like the first day, I think. Then he got hurt and he had to sit out the rest of the week. I did not view him as a top 100 player at that point in time, frankly. I liked his tape enough to give him like a borderline fourth round grade, but I had other players that 
certainly didn't do nearly what he did this year. I gave higher grades because I thought, well, maybe they have more natural size or maybe more natural twitch because he was a, he was a well-rounded player. But I didn't think he had any level of elite play, essentially, where he's just a good player across the board, quality contributor who's like going to be a depth player for you. And I thought that some of our guys might have better speed, better height, more twitch, uh, that kind of stuff that would really stand out. Someone like a Trey Palmer, who had a solid year anyways. But like someone like that, I thought would end up being higher ranked at the end of the day. Uh, and Nikola, of course, ends up in the perfect situation where you've got Sean McVay calling plays, you've got Matthew Stafford at quarterback, and you got Cooper Cup getting banged up early in the season to create the opportunity for Puka Nikola to kind of establish himself as this player who should get routinely targeted at a high rate. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't have Nakua as a top 100 player on my board. I know some people did. That just wasn't me. I think it was a lot fewer than you think. Uh, I don't think any of the Lanzerla and Daniel Jeremiah and Dane Bruglers had him uh, in their top 100. Why would, like, he didn't go top 100. It wasn't like, like different than Kobe Turner, who the Rams took in the third round. Like, oh, wow, that's a surprise. Like The Rams didn't even... They took Stetson Bennett over him. Like there was a lot of players uh, in there that they ended up taking over Puka Nakua. So if they knew what he would have been, I'm sure that they would have spent a high draft pick on him just to make sure no one else felt the same way. But no, they took him where they did, and it was a huge, uh, huge you know draft for them as a whole. I mean, Nakua, the rest of the hall they had, they did phenomenal. Uh, you know, it gives me a lot of hope for a team I thought was the worst in the NFL. Like on paper, their team had, especially defensively, and, and I don't think we expected Matthew Stafford to have the resurgence he did, but they legitimately just had Aaron Donald on defense. And then, you know, like they drafted Ernest Jones. He ended up being good. Kobe Turner, Byron Young was a good third round pick. Their secondary played really well with a bunch of guys that most people had never heard of. So, uh, yeah, hats off to the Rams for that Puka Nakua pick because I don't think anyone thought uh, he'd be what he was. Biggest disappointment, uh, I let you take Quentin Johnston just because I thought he was the obvious one. I went with Tyler Scott, fourth-round pick for the Chicago Bears. I thought he was outplayed by his teammate Trey Tucker uh, with the Las Vegas Raiders uh, coming out of college. Uh, Scott, I thought... I didn't see the same... I didn't see like that speed element that was going to be that wow factor. Uh, I, I thought... Uh, the hands were just average this season. I would have liked, you know, the Bears really had uh, an opening for that third spot and between Mooney not being 100% or DJ Moore. Like, there were times where he was out in the field, didn't, didn't produce big numbers. Uh, had a couple decent catches that he had, but I, I thought in terms of the physicality of the NFL, the play str- strength, uh, I would have liked to have seen more from him. Granted, you know, may have been a reason why he fell to the fourth round, uh, which I think was a, a surprise to many. But yeah, I, I thought there was opportunities in C- Chicago and just kind of was average all year. So yeah, Quentin Johnson was your guy. They were not uh, giving him the snaps they were expecting to probably give first round caliber wide receiver going into the year, especially considering some of the needs they have at receiver. They were trying to find that downfield threat. They had injuries to Mike Williams. You obviously have a tremendous quarterback in Justin Herbert who got hurt at some point in the season, but they were looking for that guy. They thought they would have found him in Quentin Johnson. And we had concerns about him entering the draft process. There were some thoughts that he was still a developmental player who needed to continue to stack on a couple of seasons before he really reached his peak. I don't think anyone expected he would be this 
rough, though, around the edges coming into the NFL. Again, 431 yards, that's pretty deceptive. He really was not a factor in this offense, and they wanted him to be, and he struggled to see the field. So I would throw him out there as being the obvious biggest disappointment because he was a first-round pick. But how about from the entirety of the process from start to finish? How about Keishon Boutte falling to like the sixth round with the Patriots and just not being anything in the NFL? The athleticism for Keishon was awful. I think there was off the field issues. We're seeing it now. He was recently arrested. Uh, just gambling. Uh, it was from that LSU game, the LSU-Florida uh, State game to begin the year. And just from that point on, he just was really bad. Uh, he had like a couple good games sprinkled in there uh, during his uh, junior year. Probably shouldn't have come out. Granted, uh, he would maybe was worried about getting in trouble for, for what he was doing. Well, I think they might they might have forced him to come out, frankly. Remember, he said he was going back oh, to school, and then he suddenly had to re-enter the draft because there was some incident that came to light uh, that we won't get into, but he had to basically come... He basically had to go to the draft, I think. And it worked that well for LSU because, you know what? You walked into Brian Thomas because you didn't have Keishon Booty on your roster. And you end up having Malik Nears become your all-time leading receiver because of that. So it worked out perfectly fine for LSU. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, Heisman winner. They they may have not had a ton, like the, the best season ever, but uh, definitely getting rid of uh, Keishon, who goes in the sixth round of the Patriots and just... He's not an NFL athlete. His tape his last year wasn't good. I think there's a lot more to it than just uh, football. But uh, yeah, uh, he was definitely the biggest disappointment throughout the entirety of the process. But Quinn Johnson, I think if you were to say of all the first round receivers, right, like there were some issues with the hands and, you know, he didn't test as well as I think people expected him to. He wasn't this low 4-4 athlete. Like he didn't run overly well at his pro day. Uh, there's a lot of struggles with contested catch situations. I think there was uh, issues in terms of other aspects unrelated to football, different than uh, with Booty. But uh, I I thought that Quinn Johnson, there was a bust factor. I was surprised he went where he did by the end of the process. I, I thought at one point, oh, he'll be the first receiver drafted because, you know, he has the size in this, uh, in this class where no one does. Uh, and then him to go uh, where he did was a little surprising. And, and and I think Tom Telesco probably wishes he didn't make that draft pick. Granted, he got a new job. Uh, he's now the Raiders GM. So I guess uh, no harm, no foul. But uh, really struggled, uh, especially the situation he was present with. Uh, biggest surprise outside of Nakua. I went with Dontavian Wicks, wide receiver, uh, now in the Green Bay Packers. He was a day three pick by uh by way of virginia and so his junior film i you you were higher on his junior film than i was and then i think you watch the senior film and wither devin witherspoon uh, who at the time was at illinois that i think it was like week two or week three they played against each other and witherspoon it was one of the most dominant performances I've ever seen and one of the worst performances from a wide receiver in which I thought that Wicks just was a shell of himself and didn't play up to the competition. Like Witherspoon, phenomenal player, was the fifth pick in the draft. But Wicks, he dropped everything thrown his way. It looked like Witherspoon was getting in his head. The entire season, he dealt with drop issues. Uh, wasn't separating 
at a remotely high level. I and then he ran really poorly. Yeah, I ran in the uh, I think it was like a four five seven or a four five eight at the combine, if I'm not mistaken. So like lack speed, hands were terrible his senior year. You worry about what happens when he plays against you know guys like Witherspoon who are high end cornerbacks. He really struggled. Uh, and you know it was reflected in the draft. You know he was a day three flyer, and then he goes on to be an inter- integral part of this Green Bay Packers team that you know made a playoff run, and he was you know one of the focal points of the offense and looked really good. So he was a total miss, I guess. You know discredit that senior year fail. I still thought of him as a third, fourth round prospect going into the year. And then by the end, I was like, how can you draft him? I just, the, the, the tape is horrible. And there's so many other factors that make me very worried about him having success in the NFL. Yeah. So I came into the year with an early second round grade on him. And I was, I was like mocking him in the back end of first rounds and stuff like that. Obviously, didn't have a good year. I lowered my grade to a late third to mid fourth round grade. So still higher than where he ended up getting drafted. He was actually number. Uh, 105 on my final board. So he was still very high in comparison to where he ended up. He ended up going 159. Uh, turned out to be a pretty good player for the Packers, obviously. Uh, funny enough, Carl Brooks, another, another draft pick for the Packers, 106 on my final board, also drafted too late and ended up being a very yeah. good contributor for them. So two, two picks, I'm pretty, two ranks I'm pretty happy. About. We'll talk about who was 107 here in a few minutes, but that was. 107 was more of a miss by me, but we'll talk about that later on. Uh, overall, I, I did. I am very happy to see how Wicks performed because he did have so many drop issues in his final year. Uh, but I was a much better player than that showed. And the player who I picked for the biggest surprise was Demario Douglas, who went late to the Patriots. That was around six pick, 210. I didn't watch a ton of him. I watched some of him at the Shrine Bowl. Uh, so it wasn't like I was too heavily invested in him. But... I did not have him anywhere near close to that. I had him outside the top 200, but like in more of the UDFA range or late seventh round UDFA kind of range versus being a sixth round pick. And he comes out and he's obviously getting a lot of targets because they don't have a lot of receiving options on the Patriots, but still ends up having a good year with uh, 461 receiving yards. So again, a little bit of a beneficiary of the situation he was in because there were not a lot of other options on that team. But at the same point, obviously outperforming the sixth round pick by a long shot. Like should have been more of a uh if we're just looking at based on the tape and based on the performance, should have been more of late day two, early day three kind of player. He's the best offensive player on the Patriots. Like I, I don't even with Trent Brown and uh, Michael and Wenyu hitting free agency. I don't even know if it's close. I can't think of anyone else who I I guess, you know. No, I think he's the best player on the Patriots offense. So to get that kind of value, right? I were should have been, I think, a third round pick, especially in last year's class. And to be productive on a team like that shows the kind of talent that he has. Yeah, he was someone I didn't do much work on either. I think, again, another later round uh, prospect wasn't a senior bowl uh, player. And you heard some rumblings in training camp about him. But just yeah, pre-draft did not do uh, extensive work on him at all. So it's like it's hard for me to say like yeah, like I, I was definitely surprised. Um, but uh, I never re- really watched his college film. 
already a more productive player than Tyquan Thornton will yeah, ever be. <laughs> yeah, right. And you're like the Patriots. Yeah, I guess they do a better job of late undrafted wide receivers than they do taking them high. So uh, yeah, kudos to Douglas for uh, for being a uh, good player. And he was my guy that I put for the year two breakout because your situation around you couldn't be any worse last year. They were an abysmal offense. And so with DeMario Douglas, he was still really productive and was just every week or every couple of weeks. Wow, like what an impressive catch. Watching film of other prospects, Douglas always stood out. I was the only player on the Patriots offense to me that really stood out. So if you can get him with a quarterback, hopefully with a third pick in the draft, spend some money in free agency to get some pieces around him then uh, I think a year two breakout where he establishes himself as a legitimate, you know, uh, it's hard for me to say like a wide receiver two or whatever, but a wide receiver two for the Patriots offense, I think is definitely in the card. So Douglas surprised me a lot, surprised you. uh, And then uh, I think he's going to be the year two breakout. Yeah, for my year two breakout, I kind of bounced around a bunch of guys. There are a bunch of players who I like in this class who kind of already have quote unquote broken out. Those guys being Jaden Reed, uh, Josh Downs, like these guys have already had these 700 yard receiving seasons, and they're, and they're in receiving rooms where they might not get the volume to be 1100 yard receivers. So I think you, I couldn't really list those guys. I thought about Cedric Tillman, who I know you liked in the pre draft process, but with the way the Browns are set up, I don't know what the quarterback situation is going to be like next year. Amari Cooper is clearly their number one. Elijah Moore was their number two at receiver. They had Njoku, so I didn't want to go Cedric Tillman either. I went Jackson Smith and Jigbo, which feels kind of like cheating because he was a top receiver drafted last year. It feels like the easy out. But uh, Tyler Lockett, for the first time in a while, did not look like a starting caliber player for portions of this past year. Uh, obviously, they have some unsolved issues that quarterback as well. They might look into this offseason. Uh, Gino's a good quarterback, but not a fantastic quarterback. I just think that JSN at some point is going to start getting a much greater percentage volume of targets and that they're going to start kind of phasing out Tyler Lockett out of the offense. Uh, and of course, the coaching change as well will shift things too. Like we don't know what's going to happen there, but I think JSN will become a, a much larger part of the offense. I think that was a, that's a good pick, right? It's, it's hard to say uh, because he was the first wide receiver draft. Uh, I know you were uh, high on him. Uh, with Tailman, the reason I didn't pick him was I, I don't see any hope at quarterback. This is a Cleveland Browns team. You lose Bill Callahan, who was a huge part of making sure that offense was, especially the you know, right uh, offensive line coach. They always have getting Wyatt Teller and turning him into what he was. Batonio was, was really good. Conklin. And uh, Dewan Jones developing this year. He got a lot out of that offensive line. Ethan Postick at center. I worry about the offensive line maybe taking a step back without him. But these guys are getting older and eventually they'll need to be replaced. And, you know, Jedrick Wills is still just mediocre at best. And I wonder if he takes even a step back without Callahan. And then it's just the quarterback situation. I have no faith in Deshaun Watson and, and David Njoku and Amari Cooper being as good as they are makes it tough. You know, granted. Yeah, and Callahan and Stalin in Philadelphia are the offensive line coaches in the modern NFL. Really, like, those guys themselves are worth millions of dollars in terms yeah. of what they do for your team. So, lo- losing that kind of pl- coach, I think, could be huge. Maybe not so much this year, maybe two or three years out, you'll see more of the impact. But 
you mentioned there, there are a lot of injuries along the offensive line this past year. There's a lot of aging players. And the quarterback situation, we just have no idea what we're going to get next year. So that's why, I, like you said, just could not go with Tillman because I just don't know what's going to happen there. That quarterback situation's awful. I don't even, like, you can't even do anything with Watson. It's all guaranteed. There's, like, no way out. And uh, Joe Flacco is better than him. I, he looks, he looked bad. He looked disinterested, Watson. Uh, he looked like a shell of himself as a person. So, uh, right, like, I think Tillman could be the two there. You know, Elijah Moore hasn't really developed into uh, someone who's, in my opinion, more than a wide receiver three. So they're kind of missing that number two. I wonder if they go with and, and try and get one with their, their picks on day two. So we'll see. But, yeah, I, I think Smith and Jigba and Douglas are two guys who could definitely break out. I think Douglas being that put anything around him and maybe especially at quarterback he gets better uh who were we we too high on going into the draft i was way i wouldn't say way too high on jonathan mingo because i never would have taken him in the top 40 but jonathan mingo out of Ole miss i thought was a second round talent and a guy who had all the opportunities in the world. Right? They had no one at wide receiver. They were force-feeding Adam Thielen, uh, who's in the twilight of his career. And I think I just overrated. Uh, I just looked past some of his abilities as a route runner, especially. And I thought there was definitely a rawness to his game. I thought in last year's class, he was worthy and it's tough to say, like 55 to 64 would have been ideal for me, but I did not think that he should last a little third round. But for where he went, you'd, you'd hope for a little more production. And I, I just think he's not that kind of player. And I don't know if he ever will be uh, a, a high enough end separator to be a, a really good wide receiver. And, and I think even what he did after the catch with the ball in his hands wasn't that impressive either. So he was a guy I thought was going to he likes one of those guys who we're talking about in the way we're talking about Rashi Rice a little bit that they've got no one else. So he really stands out and he just didn't at all. Yeah, I had him 63 in my final board. And of course, he ended up going higher than that. But again, 63 would have still been a second round pick. That's where Marvin Mims went. Uh, and Mingo was clearly not worth that. He would have fit, he would have fit better in the Tillman Josh Downs, Michael Wilson kind of bucket in the third round. Yeah, so I think that's... I agree with you there. Uh, speaking of Marvin Mims, by the way, uh, I was much higher on Mims than I probably should have been. Uh, I had him in top 50. Obviously, that's not correct in hindsight. Uh, but he ended up going 63, so the NFL did view him as a second-round player like I did. When he touched the ball, he was always explosive. Uh, whether it be a return man or be a receiver... He made a big play every time the ball was in his hands. He just didn't get the ball a lot. And part of that's because he's just a, a smaller player. It was more inconsistent. There's just a lot of issues with that wide receiver room in general. A lot of players were injured. A lot of players were drafted high that aren't working out. Mims ends up kind of getting lost in the shuffle. Just 377 receiving yards this past year. And again, a very explosive player still, but not someone who might ever end up getting the volume in the NFL to justify a second round pick. When... George Payton did his you know, end of year press conference and they were asking about the rookies because they're in a horrible cap situation for next year. So Alex Forsythe, they view him as a potential NFL starter. Drew Sanders, they view him as an NFL starter. Riley Moss, they view him as an NFL starter. Uh, outside of Sanders, the other two really didn't play much. 
So for him to say that, it's like, well, you know, that, that may be saying a little much. And then when they asked about Marvin Mims, he's like, you know, we're still a work in progress at wide receiver, but we love what he does in the return game. So for him to say, the other guy's like definitive. Like Alex Forsythe was a seventh round pick. Say definitive NFL starter and then talk about Mims and say, well, there's some work he needs uh, at wide receiver uh, is a little bit telling. No, he was a guy, right? I was incredibly low on him. I was, I think, too low on him. Uh, because I graded him as a fifth, sixth rounder over the summer and only moved him up to a fifth. So there are polar extremes in the right. Like I felt like Cedric Tillman could have been a guy taken in the first round. It probably doesn't look like, you know, no matter what, should have been a first round wide receiver. And then the extreme of Marvin Mims being that low, I was too low on him still. But yeah, it, I still I, I, I still have hope for him. I, I really do. I, I think that there was enough explosive plays. He's going to be able to have a lot of opportunities because of what he does as a return player in general. Granted, a, a second-round pick, you're going to get a lot anyway. So I don't. I, it's not like he was a, a day-three prospect who I'm thinking is going to make a 53 because of his return value. But I, I think that uh, I've got a little more hope. I feel like I was lower on him pre-draft, and I've got more hope for him than you do. And you had him as a top-50 prospect. <laughs> so that's where we uh, <laughs> differ a little bit. It, it's, they're going to need him next year. You, I mean, between... Because they're saying they're, you know, Cortland's and Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, that's an expensive wide receiver room with Judy being on that, you know, where he's at with that fifth year. Damn, that's a, it's a rough, you could get rid of all three of them. uh, I could see with Patrick's injury history, Cortland Sutton is still a solid player, but with his cap hit and then Jerry Judy's just been a, a, a total bust, so. Maybe you got you got to get rid of at least one of them. So Mims will be in line potentially to be a starter. So we'll see. Uh, but yeah, that was Mingo and Mims. Who are you too low on? Rashi Rice, another one, right? Oh my god! And there's a lot that goes into it, right? And when we talk about some of the stuff that you had concerns off the field with him, some of the concerns on the field with him, and then also. He goes to the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, this is a team that like you put anyone at wide receiver, and Patrick Mahomes will try his best to make you look good. Uh, Marquez Valdez Scanling, Sky Moore, Kadarius Tony. Some of these receivers, as of late, have done their best to show that they're maybe not uh, NFL wide receivers, or uh, you know, we'll see. <laughs> but uh, I think that. <laughs> With Rashi Rice, he was uh, the second most productive uh, rookie wide receiver. He's been very good in the playoffs for the Chiefs and a huge part of that offense. And I thought he was going to be a total bust, if I'm being honest. and would not have drafted him until midday three. I was stunned when he went in the second round because at one point in time, he had first to second round height. Dane Brugler going into the season had him as his top senior receiver. The first few games, I think he had like 100 or 200 yards in every game, and people were talking about him as a top two-round lock. And then it started to fade towards the end. By the end of the season and throughout the pre-draft process, not thought of uh, as that kind of prospect. I think a lot of people were surprised he went uh, top two rounds, and I I was utterly shocked. And then he shows it. Worst case, he's a a starting wide receiver in the league, and a, a productive one at that, and I didn't see that at all. So, uh, way too low on Rashi Rice. I didn't think he ran routes or separated at a high enough no. level in college to really be that. too. Like that for like he obviously in in a redraft he would have been a free would be a first round pick. But I think I didn't see that from him in college. I gave him a late second to mid third round grade. And I dropped him a bit on my final board because there's some off the field stuff that was going around that being talked about. 
So I had him lower. I still obviously top under player for me, but I had him lower than he went and clearly lower than he should have been based on the final outcome for the season. I put down three names. Uh, Demario Douglas, we've talked about. I had him kind of that seventh round UDFA range. Uh, Jake Bobo, who I don't think any of like, I understand there was some weather conditions during the pro day, but you can't run what he run, <laughs> what he ran as a receiver and expect to be drafted. So he was undrafted, but I think he performed better this year than any UDFA. And frankly, he performed better than a lot of the guys who were taken in the seventh round. I actually think all the guys who were taken in the seventh round this year. Uh, so good season for him. I had him in firmly in UDFA range. So he outperformed his grade. And then I mentioned 107 on my board. Outperforming his grade, uh, 107 was a player who really showed out the senior bowl, and I didn't buy into the hype at all. It was a uh, tank Dell, so I I didn't buy into any of the hype really. Some of it, but not enough of it, from the senior bowl performance. He ends up going uh, higher than I had him. I just said I had him 107. He ends up going much higher than that, and he is taking pick 69 in third round still, uh, but 709 yards in 11 games, essentially. So he would he was on pace to be the second most productive receiver from his rookie class, uh, besides Puka Nakua. And he would have certainly, most certainly been a 1,000 receiver with CJ Stroud quarterback. So Tank Dell, I was too low on. I do think the injury concerns of that size are still an issue for him. Uh, but obviously, you saw that the explosiveness, the twitchiness he had from college did translate. If, if the Texans knew what he'd be, and if every like, I'm not saying right. I wouldn't be shocked if they just stay put at 12 and take him. Like that's how valuable he was to that offense. They were so hard to stop. But like when it was, it started to like really click for CJ Stroud. And between Nico and Tank Dell, oh my God, was he such a huge part of that offense? Tank Dell, yeah, we were both too low on him, right? We talk about Rashi Rice being a. Uh, our first round redraft. That's the tough thing with the redraft after one year. Cause you saw, I saw ESPN did it. And I'm like, this is just horrible because it's like, how do you, how do you factor in where you thought of them pre-draft versus post-draft and right? Like is Rossi Rice half as productive if he goes to another team? I don't know. Is Tank Dell half as productive if he's not in that offense? I don't know, but in the offenses that they're in and especially Tank Dell, I, I just I was so stunned how good he was for that team and how much of a drop off they had when he got hurt. Uh, I, I think that there's a shot that they could make it even further in the playoffs if he uh, if he stayed healthy. That's how good he was for that team. So, and again, right? How much is Bobby Slowick? Like Nico Collins. Granted, you, you didn't have C.J. Stroud, but he couldn't do anything beforehand, and now he's a legitimate like top ten receiver in the NFL. <laughs> so, right, like the situation matters yeah. with all of this. Uh, you have to be like Demario Douglas, where you're showing it on the Patriots, where you got an archaic offense and no one around you to be like, all right, that was a true guy. That's a miss. But yeah, other guys I considered uh, who I didn't put were uh, Trey Tucker from uh, the Cincinnati receiver who drafted by the Raiders. Another his film wowed me. Uh, I did not think that he'd be close to as good as he is. He's a legitimate starting receiver, in my opinion. And I hated Jalen Hyatt. Uh, him being any sort of productive, uh, especially with the team, you know, in, in this quarterback situation they had throughout the season, uh, to be a starting caliber receiver. Uh, another one, he and Rashi Rice. I was so low on them, and uh, he ended up. Uh, being at least, you know, he was, a, you know, he went later than I think people thought. 
So not every team was high on him, but I, I was still surprised that he was as productive as he was. I had Hyatt as my 72nd player on the board. He ends up going 73 to the Giants. So I was in the same ballpark as in New York on that one. Uh, he's a good he's a good player in spot situations, but he's a he's a role player, wide receiver three kind of no. guy. Yeah. So that was the 2023 uh, draft class at wide receiver. Again, it's a position. Quarterback matters. Yeah, it just does. And just yeah, you know, where you're at on the depth chart. There's a lot of good receivers in the NFL. There aren't a ton of good quarterbacks. Your situation impacts things a lot, a lot more than let's just say, right? Like if you're a left tackle who's good, you're a left tackle who's good. There's some scheme aspect, but I, I think in terms of wide receiver, uh, it's a critical aspect of it. So um, that was the 2023 class. Now on to 2024, much better grouping. Uh, I think that we are both excited about what this class brings. There are three receivers at the top. Uh, who I think consensus between Harrison, uh, Neighbors, and Odunze, and whatever order you'd like. I think both of us have Harrison 1, Neighbors 2, Odunze 3. But we've seen Odunze as high as 1, Neighbors as high as 1. You know, Daniel Jeremiah uh, really loves Odunze. And then Lance Erland has Malik Neighbors as the number one player in the draft right now. So uh, it's a good wide receiver class. I think all three are off the board by pick 6. Uh Worst case, eight. Uh, I'd be stunned uh, if they lasted that long. But then afterwards, we're going to talk about first, how many first round picks were they'll be at wide receiver? I went with five um, and I chose the five. I think Harrison goes first. I think Odunze goes second because there's a kind of a trade I like that uh, Chicago moving up and trading with the Chargers from nine to five. And they already have... Uh, DJ Moore on their roster, who's very similar to Malik Neighbors. So I wonder if they'd go the big possession player with uh, Odunze or if this is going to be like a Drake London, uh, Garrett Wilson situation, even if it's Atlanta trading up uh, where they just value size a lot more. I don't know if they'd go Neighbors to kind of offset one or the other. but uh, And then uh, it doesn't look like the Chargers are going to take uh, a receiver. Uh, it seems like it's either offensive tackle or Brock Bowers. Uh, so just interesting to note there. And so I think those three are out the board. I think Brian Thomas, uh, worst case, I think is pick 17 to the Jaguars. I think they may end up having to trade up for him. I don't dislike, you know, like New Orleans, right? I know they got some production out of A.T. Perry, but like Michael Thomas is getting older. Uh, Shahid was solid and, and Chris Olave is good, but they're still, I think, missing another element. And there's only, they can't go out and get anything in free agency. Uh, they have no money. They never do I mean, it's it's stressful to go through the New Orleans Saints cap situation every year as they try and figure <laughs> this all out and how they can still afford to pay Taysom Hill what they do. Uh, so I think Brian Thomas, worst case pick seventeen to Jacksonville, they desperately need wide receiver help. And then uh, the fifth one I went with, uh, I chose Keon Coleman. I think that it reminds me a tiny bit. I don't know why, but of Greg Rousseau. Uh, where he thought of super highly at one point in time, then you know it goes way in the other direction. In the end, they go in that you know twenty-seven to thirty-two range. Uh, I kind of like the fit to uh, you know, a team in that you know twenty-eight to thirty-two range uh, with, with Coleman. And I just don't know if I see anyone else right. Like I would take Ladd McConkey in the first round. I don't think an NFL team would. 
I mean, after he runs like a four three nine, I think there's a shot that he definitely could, or a four four one, whatever he runs, uh, go in the first round. We've seen Devontae Walker mock there. I don't know after the uh, Senior Bowl had some drop issues there. Just Troy Franklin get in there, maybe. Um, but I think Coleman's the fifth for me, so I think those are the five. Uh, and I think there's like a big gap where Thomas is off the board by 17, and we don't see someone till uh, like Buffalo, Kansas City, or Baltimore. Yeah, I agree with almost everything you said there. I think the gap between Odunze and Neighbors is so small. I mean, I think you'd flip you flip me either way and say this one's number one, this one's number two. Like the thing with they're both both those guys are top eight prospects in this class. They're all the way up there. So I think that you can kind of flip the top three how you want to. Thomas is going to be the fourth. It's just the way it's trending right now. He's not my fourth receiver, but it's the way that the NFL is clearly pointing to. Uh, and then I do think we get a fifth. It's just a question of who. And I think it will come down to what body type do you want? Do you want the big contested catch guy in Keon Coleman? Do you want to get a more explosive option in Troy Franklin? Do you want to take a shot on the upside in a Donnie Mitchell? You mentioned Loud McConkey. He might get that call as well. So you've got a bunch of guys who are kind of all clustered together who I could see being that fifth receiver off the board. I don't like six. If you asked me three months ago, I would have said, oh, we're, we're sure getting six. But now it feels like there are more second-round caliber receivers in this class than there are first-round guys, and there are just enough warts with these prospects to keep a bunch of them out of the first round. So I think I would also lean five with you agreeing with you on the most part on the names. Uh, I think I might I might sub in someone else for Keon Coleman. I might lean more towards a, a Troy Franklin or a Ladd McConkey than Keon Coleman, but I agree with you in general that that's going to be five. Uh, you asked the question, would it be better to wait and take a receiver into the second round until once the top three receivers are off the board, essentially, once you have Harrison, Dunze, neighbors gone, is it better to wait until the second round uh, to take a receiver at that point and not take one in the first round? And it, it comes down obviously to what you need, but we're think, the way we're thinking the board's going to work, the three receivers are going to go. You're going to have all of the tackles, essentially, or almost all the tackles, and almost all the corners are going to be available in the first round. And we've run through these situations. There are not going to be a lot of tackles and a lot of corners left in the second round you're going to feel really good about. I think there's going to be a lot of receivers left in the second round you're going to feel good about. So I think from a team-building perspective, once those top three guys are gone, then you're left with Brian Thomas, who's a little bit more of a developmental player still. Very talented, but still in the developmental stages of his career. And some of those other guys we talked about being that wide receiver five conversation. I do think it would benefit you to wait until the second round to take a receiver because then you can prioritize offensive tackle, which a lot of teams need. Cornerback, which a lot of teams need. You can get those spots in the first round and then still get a productive receiver in the second round. And we saw this past year even. We talked about guys like Tank Dell, Josh Downs, Rasheed Rice, Jaden Reed. These are not first round picks. And they're still some of those productive guys in the NFL from this past rookie class, Puka Nakua in the fifth round. You can find these guys outside of the top 32. So I would lean towards get tackle, get corner in the first round once you get rid of the top receivers and they'll go take a receiver in the second or third round. I agree. I, I just think the value just isn't there after those top three because I think they're, they've got the chance to be special wide receivers. Similar to Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith. Uh, and, and I wouldn't say that Smith's special, but I think the other two, in my opinion, at, at least are with Ch- Chase and Waddle. So I think, you know, with Harrison, Odunze, Neighbors, 
They've got size. Their tape is phenomenal. They're productive at big schools. Like they are bulletproof, in my opinion. Uh, and 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 I think that every team would love to have one of those guys as their number one receiver, which is why they're going to go four, five, and six probably, or you know, in, in whatever shape or form you want. Um, yeah, it's like take. I understand Jacksonville taking Brian Thomas. Like we need a wide receiver, and like why play around? But like after that, and it's like if I'm sitting there at 28 and I'm Buffalo, why would I want to take a receiver there? I go you know, try and trade out of the first round because there's just there's just a plethora of day two wide receivers who I think are going to be have a chance to be the fourth best receiver in this draft, fifth best. Right? We talk about Ad Mitchell. He's got more upside than Brian Thomas. He's got more upside than Keon Coleman. He is a top 20 player. He's not going to get drafted top 20, but he's got that kind of upside. And you just go every year, and it's like, outside of you know, your Jamar Chase, Marvin Harrison, Romo, like outside of like that grouping, like afterwards, like just doesn't make sense. I think the value is there in the second round. Like if you want to take a Malachi Corley and you have an idea of what you're going to use, uh, how you're going to use him, he could be really productive, right? We talk about Lad McConkey. You know, he can stay healthy. He'll be really impressive. Troy Franklin, you know, what he does. Roman Wilson was phenomenal at the senior bowl. You go to the third round, right? Like Ricky Pearsall could start at slot for you from, from day one. We love the speed uh, of Devontae Walker and what he can do vertically. Like, there are so many receivers. And I'm, you know, forgetting Xavier Worthy, who, you know, it could be uh, a, a, an awesome prospect, uh, wide receiver for you as well. So there's a lot of receivers, and I'm probably missing a couple names in there. But yeah, I, I don't see the value after the first, the outside of Jacksonville, just securing uh, a receiver in Brian Thomas. Yep, I agree with you. And you brought like, a guy like Worthy, who I think if I, I have a higher grade on than you. Maybe it's because I'm overcorrecting for the tank tail <laughs> issues from last year. Maybe I'm trying to get my way back into the good graces of the small receivers, but. I do think we found ways for those players to succeed in the NFL. I don't think the league wants to take those kind of guys in the top 32, obviously. But there's still a ton of upside to hit on those players in the second round. And we'll get into a few more in the discussion here. But even going into like the fourth round, which we're going to talk about now, guys who might be more of a the day three bargain receivers going to break out years. There's a lot of talent in this class. There's a lot of guys who would go in that range and still be very productive. No, uh, so yeah, it's a good way to segue to it. Day three wide receiver, you're banging the table for. I went Bub Means wide receiver at Pitt. I love the athleticism and the upside that he possesses. Both of us really like him, and it's not crazy day three pound the table. It's you know we want to take him in the fourth round. So I, I think that that's where he provides really good value. I thought he looked really solid at the Shrine. I think poor quarterback play hurt him but the athleticism is off the charts and with day three pick i'm gonna bet on athleticism i thought the tape was really good this season i think he took a massive jump from last year to this year there was a lot of headache plays on his tape last year uh where he'd drop a key pass or he'd fumble in a difficult situation uh there, there was just a lot of frustration because the talent was all there i think he took a a, a big step this year and so I think he's got starting receiver upside and would be someone I'd love to take uh, in the fourth round. Yeah, at various points throughout the process, I would have had guys like Malik Washington or Jamie McMillan, Jamari Thrash. I would have had those guys more in that fourth round conversation. After the cultural playoff and after the All-Star games, I feel pretty comfortable that all three of those guys, Thrash, Washington, and McMillan, are all going to be top 100 players. So I'm not going to pick any of them for this spot. 
I would lean more towards a uh, Jaquan Jackson from Tulane, who was at the Senior Bowl, who had a pretty good week. Not an outstanding week, but a solid week overall, I would say. I gave him a late fourth to mid-fifth round grade when I initially reviewed him. I still think that's a that's a probably a fair range, but though we're probably looking at more like a mid-fourth to early fifth rounder, so maybe bump him up half round or quarter of a round. Uh, just a twitchy player who gets open. He returns kicks and punts for you, so he's going to play on special teams. We know that that value is going to be there. We talked about what Marvin Mims can do for Denver with what he did as a rookie. I think you might get some similar upside from Jackson in terms of what he's able to do. And again, this is we're talking about a fourth, fifth round player because he's going to get you probably around 380 to 550 receiving yards. He's going to be a return man for you. Not a superstar for your team, but I think it's a player with the twitch and athleticism and explosiveness that he has can be a very good contributor and might have some more longer-term upside for you getting into year two and year three. He's a player I liked as well. Uh, whenever I watched Michael Pratt, he seemed to make plays. I think he brings a lot uh, that you can use him on day three. Um, so, yeah, he was another guy that uh, I considered. I went means, you know, I guess I would say Jackson Moore would be the guy on the table for a little bit after means, but I, I think that they're both early day three picks. Um, with how they've done this offseason, how I think they're going to test. And so, uh, two guys who I really like. So, yeah, I agree with you. I, I have memes ranked much higher because I think he's more of a potential to be a true do it all kind of starting receiver for you. But I think both of them are good. And frankly, I, I have a gap. Once you get past means, who's my top day three receiver, there's a bit of a drop. And we'll get into some of these guys later, but then it gets into players who I bucketed after. I was like Jackson, but also guys like Jacob Cowing is really small. Jermaine Burton, who might be Jermaine Burton, might be the next best guy in terms of wow, he could probably be a consi- uh, consistent 700 plus yard receiver for you. He has the traits, but he hasn't never really did that in college. He never really got to that level of consistency. And I had our guys like Anaya Smith, who did not have a good week at all at the Senior Bowl. I, I'm going to lower pretty significantly. Uh, when I review more of his tape. And then Brandon Rice, who is a pretty... Um, we'll talk about him later. He's one of the guys reviewing the draft profile for this uh, today. But you get into a very odd bucket once you get past Bub Means. Uh, Jackson's just a guy who sticks out to me as a guy who you, you feel comfortable has a specific role in the NFL. I agree. Uh, favorite day two wide receiver. Uh, this is my favorite player in the draft, Vlad McConkey. I would take him in the top 32. I think he's got a chance to be a superstar wide receiver, whether it be on the outside or in the slot. Like, if you have, unfortunately have to play him in the slot, does that really matter? Uh, I don't think so at all, right? Like, sure, it'd be awesome if he was a six foot four X wide receiver. But in, in today's game, that doesn't really matter as much. I think he's going to be unbelievable. Uh, so he's my favorite guy. Just because the fact that the NFL views him as a second round prospect, he'll be a top 50 pick, but he's my favorite guy on uh, day two. So who, who did you select? Yeah, I put Jalen Polk from uh, Washington. I had him one spot higher. I had 28 on my board, my most recent board, and I had McConkey at 29. So obviously very close together in terms of how I view them, but very different players. Polk is a do it all guy with tons of size. Really good catch radius. He had some drop issues this past year. Uh, he's going to probably remind some people of Mingo from his physical build standpoint. I would argue that Polk is a much better route runner already than Jonathan Mingo ever was. So I think that's the separator there is that Polk 
But I think he talked about about a lot, frankly. So that maybe signals that I'm too high on him. But uh, Paul to me has the build. He's got better at running than some of the guys who have this build and come out in previous years. Really good catch radius. Makes some really great contested catches. Uh, excellent body control. I just like him a lot more than maybe the consensus does at this point in time. So I've got him graded out as a top 50 player. Uh, and he is my favorite day two wide receiver. Although I, I considered giving Malachi Corley his flowers because Corley had a really good senior bowl. And I think at this point, there was some concern that maybe he would drop into the third round at some point. I feel like at this after the senior bowl, it feels like he's maybe locked himself into a uh, second round pick. No, I agree. He was the other guy uh, I would have chosen. He was someone before the season. I thought uh, I was higher on him than Romo Dunze. That's like the kind of player I thought Corley had the chance to be. I still think he has a chance to be, you know, a top seven-ish receiver from this year's class and someone who's very productive year in and year out. Who will rise after the combine? I said Roman Wilson. I think he's gonna continue to ride that pre-draft uh, and, and, and senior bowl buzz that he got. He looked like the best receiver there, uh, helped himself a lot. And then I think once he runs in the four threes, uh, that's going to help him again. And so I think he's going to solidify himself as a second round receiver. I view him as a third round player, but I, I think that the NFL is going to really value uh, what he's done throughout this pre-draft process, especially because at Michigan, you're just limited in what you can show. Yeah, the guy I picked is Jamari Thrash from Louisville, who I think is going to run well. I don't have like we we know at this point, Roman Wilson should run well based on how he ran in high school. We know he should run well. Lad McConkey, we believe, will run well based on reports we've heard. I don't have as much information to back this up for Jamari Thrash, but he does look explosive on tape. He's got good agilities. I think he might test explosively on some of the jumps as well. Uh, so I think he'll come out as a a smaller receiver. Maybe we'll get more looks at being bumped inside to the slot in the NFL. But I think overall, the agility 10 speed testing will hold up pretty well for him. He had a really good senior bowl week. He was a guy who, before the senior bowl, I had great out just outside my top 100. Now he's going to be a top 100 player for me going forward. Uh, and I think he will lock up a third round grade, in my opinion. I agree. I, I think he is a third round prospect. And I, I really liked what he did at the senior bowl. Uh, it wasn't like a consensus riser the way Roman Wilson was, but really good tape. You know, fan of him at Georgia State and then now at, at, at what he did at Louisville. Hats off to them for going out and getting him. Uh, he was a huge part of their success this season. Uh, in terms of where their drop-offs and how you stack your board, you do a really good job of putting players into buckets. And I think it's a good way to figure out where these receivers are going to go because when you look at a ranking 1 through 15, it doesn't tell you where they're going to get drafted because wide receiver 4 could be a 4th round pick or it could be a top six pick, right? There's a lot that uh, isn't said by just ranking players. So where do you bucket players and where are their drop-offs in your big board for this year's receiver group? Yeah, so this this board has not been updated for the senior bowl, which will shift some guys like Leggett and Devontae's walk around a bit. But I can just tell you the numbers where high receivers graded it out. One, four, eight. 16, 17, 19, 20, 28, 29, 39, 41, 47, 53. And then there's a drop. So I think that in the top 53, you are consistently peppered with wide receiver options. I think you have 
a ton of players, you're always going to have, you give a top 50 pick for the most part, you're going to have multiple options on the table that you could potentially take at wide receiver. Uh, there is that bit of that drop once you get past like Lad McConkey from 29 to Xavier Worthy at 39. I do think you hit that, hey, these are these early second rounders to late first rounders in terms of Lad McConkey, Jalen Polk at 28, 29. Then you drop down a bit. You get Worthy, like get Walker, Corley. These are more of your mid-second round kind of players, in my opinion. So I think there's a bit of a drop there. And then from Corley, who's at 53, you drop off and then it's Ricky Pearsall at 75. It's going to be uh, Roman Wilson is going to be in that kind of bucket. It's going to be Jalen McMillan, Malik Washington. Those are going to be the next group of guys. So I think there's a drop from Corley a bit. And it's going to be like Pearsall, Roman Wilson will be the next guys up after that. So I, and I do think that while Wilson did really well, at the senior bowl, he's going to test well. Obviously, Pearsall did well at the senior bowl. He won't test nearly as well as Wilson. I do think that based on tape, there is a difference there. And I know that you have limited options at Michigan in terms of how you can perform as a receiver. I still feel like there's a there's a drop between Corley and Wilson in terms of how they will gray out as prospects, in my opinion. I, I'm 100% with you, right? I think that, yeah, Wilson, again, the NFL, we talk about Michigan players, J.J. McCarthy is going to go a lot higher than necess- we may necessarily think he should. So uh, I, I think the same a little bit maybe with, with Wilson. Um, but yeah, I think there's a drop-off, I think, what, what some of those guys break. With Leggett and Walker... How far down do you think you're going to be dropping them in your next update? I think Leggett saved himself a bit uh, after a rough day one. Even going back and watching the film day one, he was a little sabotaged by some of the quarterback play going back and watching the L-22. So it wasn't as bad of a day as maybe as it was sold. Uh, I think it's just the realization that he's closer to six foot than he is six three uh, is going to make some people turn off a little bit, especially with his style of play. I think Leggett's going to drop a little bit, but I think he'll still be a top 50, 55 guy for me. I know people were talking about, hey, he's more of a third-round player than a, a second-round player. I, I personally just don't see that, frankly. I know that the receivers who break out late in their college careers a lot of times end up being not great in the NFL. Leggett just had so many good performances against quality SEC opponents this year that I just can't drop him down to a third-round grade. I think Walker is more of a limited receiver than Leggett, frankly. Uh, it doesn't give you nearly as much at the catch point. So I think Walker will probably fall. He'll still be a top 60 guy for me, I imagine. Still a second-round evaluated player. Uh, but I think I could have Corley potentially jump Walker, and I could justify that movement at this point. So that's how I view it. You're still going to have a lot of guys spread throughout the course of the entire top 60. But then I, I still think there will be even a drop like wherever Walker lands, I think there will still be a, a gap between him and Roman Wilson, Ricky Pearsall. Do you think what when Leggett and Devonta Walker run in the four threes, then they'll just be moved right back to their original spots? It might, yeah, <laughs> it might just go right back. I mean, like, look, it's, what am I going to tell you? Like, these guys, they're six, like, Leggett is six, one and a half, whatever he is, and like 225 pounds or whatever, built like Debo Samuel kind of player. Not saying he plays like that, but he's built like that. Uh, and he can beat you vertically. Devon says Walker is a tall receiver, long arms can beat you vertically. Like it's just you don't get these guys very often. You gotta take it when you can. Yeah, so it's funny, right? We could inc- I didn't want to put them for the risers after the combine, but like they definitely can recoup some of the draft stock that maybe they lost uh with not phenomenal senior bowls in the way Roman Wilson and Lad McConkey played. 
who will end up as the fourth best receiver from this class? My answer is obvious based off everything I have said so far. It's Lad McConkey. I don't see him being a top three. I think the, the top three guys are just so good. Uh, and the tape they put up this year was awesome. But I really think he uh, has a good shot to be the fourth one as long as he stays healthy. There's a tiny bit of risk involved. I was debating between McConkey and A.D. Mitchell. McConkey, I think, is a little bit safer uh, in the sense... And I don't think there's that rawness that you're projecting a little bit of development with A.D. Mitchell, but uh, it was a toss-up between those two. Yeah, I want to acknowledge that the right answer might just be Brian Thomas Jr. I just want to <laughs> yeah. put, throw that out there. That, just, that might be the correct answer, but I'm not going to take it, obviously. I'm going to go with Troy Franklin. You mentioned that there's some development that has to be done with A.D. Mitchell, and there's obviously more questions to be answered there. Uh, McConkey, you picked, so I can't take <laughs> McConkey. I went with Troy Franklin, who I've liked throughout the process. I acknowledge that he's not as physical at the catch point as you would like a receiver of his size to be. He's got good overall size, solid catch radius. Very explosive, too, for a player of his size. Good at getting off the line. Uh, reminds me a little bit, a little bit of like the Christian Watson when releasing off the line of scrimmage in terms of what you get from the flexibility and explosiveness at the line. Uh, so I think that he has a shot to be that fourth receiver. And it depends on the landing spot a bit. Like if he ends up being stuck on a team where he's wide receiver three, then obviously that shifts things around. But if he gets into a situation where he can walk in and be your wide receiver two, I think he has a good chance to be one of the top four or five receivers in terms of productivity from this draft class. No, I, I agree with that. Uh, prospects that we watch, Brendan Rice, wide receiver, USC, Peyton Wilson, linebacker, NC State, Trevin Wallace, Surprise to Clary, linebacker, Kentucky. Tyler Davis, D-tackle, Clemson, who's been in college football for 11 years. <laughs> and then our first 2025 report, as we start to shift a little bit towards that next class, Armand Membo, offensive lineman out of Missouri. Let's start with Brendan Rice from USC. Uh, what were your overall takeaways and thoughts from his film? Yeah, I gave Rice a fourth-round grade. And we talked to people at the Senior Bowl there were some guys who I talked to who had him as a top 100 player who thought he did fantastic throughout the course of the week. There were other people who were like, hey, he's, he's a fourth or fifth round pick and he's really struggled out here. So no one could come to a consensus based on the, how he actually performed even after I watched some of the tape and even after the practices. Uh, I just gave him a fourth round grade. I think he's a large and powerful wide receiver with zone beating coverage recognition skills and enough speed to stretch the field vertically. Doesn't run a really big or refined route tree. Uh, pretty inconsistent week to week as well. And I think he should be able to contribute to an offense as a rookie, but it's still a highly developmental prospect that you really are not getting a ton from in year one. So he's a good player, good build in terms of like his size. He was a Bruce Feldman's freaks list player. Uh, supposedly hit 23 miles per hour on the GPS. Did not do that in Mobile, by the way. So I, I do have some questions about that. I suppose he's going to run a 1-4-3, 10-yard split in the 40-yard dash. Going to jump well, going to do well on the bench press because he is a bigger receiver in terms of like his his mass, his bulk. Uh, man, he's just... He's got decent speed. You see it sometimes, but the really athletic corners do not let him get by them. Like He, he struggles against the really true NFL caliber athletes at corner. He can beat a Cam Hart's. The Cam Hart's a bigger guy who's got a wider turn radius, but he really struggles against the twitchier dudes. And the way he separates from those guys is he pushes off. He creates a lot of separation with physicality, which might not work in the NFL because you might get thrown, he might get called for OPI quite a bit. So I have some concerns there. Uh, 
it could work, but I don't think it will work as consistently as it did in Mobile and as it did at USC. So you have some concerns there. That he didn't drop a lot of passes in 2023, according to PFF, but you go back and watch the tape, and I counted at least two or three drops that were not charted by PFF, and then he had some drops at the Senior Bowl. So I do think that ball tracking, concentration at the catch point are things that I have questions about. He's a willing blocker, but he hasn't really figured out how to block at a high level yet. You look at his hand usage, his footwork. It's just not consistent enough to really sustain blocks at this point in time. And I didn't know that that while he has got enough speed to stretch the field vertically, some of his downfield routes didn't take too long to develop to the point where the quarterback was already dealing with pressure by the time Rice was really getting open. Uh, so I think that while he's got good speed, it's not fantastic speed. And he can burst off the line of scrimmage. He has moments and plays where he has shows a lot of bursts coming off the line. But there are also plays where he just doesn't show the urgency getting off the line of scrimmage to really help his quarterback out in time. Uh, so I think he's a very inconsistent player who has to develop his release package, has to develop his route tree. There are the flashes that you like, which is why he's going to be a fourth-round pick. But I don't think that he's a top 100 player at this point in time. I was not a fan of his at all. Maybe he's going to be this year's Rashi Rice for me. But uh, I thought mid-day three, at best, he would be someone that I just worry a lot about, or the NFL athletes, the ability to separate. Uh, I think we saw a little bit of those issues at the Senior Bowl, no matter what people want to say about how well he did. Uh, he's just been someone I haven't been a huge fan of throughout this process. Uh, midday three pick is still like, right? Like he went from being someone we did not talk about as draftable over the summer to now he's a draftable player. Uh, I'm just going to be way lower on the consensus, kind of, right? That third, fourth round this range, I'm more, you know, fifth, sixth, and leaning more towards sixth. But that's just, yeah. you know, me being a little bit of an outlier there. But, uh, yeah, he was just someone. Yeah, he's a much he's a much better receiver against zone coverages. He's got actually really good recognition of coverage of where to sit down in zones. But like you mentioned, the, the sticky man coverage is going to give him issues. I actually liked his uh his teammate Taj Washington, who was at the Shrine Bowl. I'm starting to I'll have like Shrine Bowl recap blogs coming up next week where we break down prospects day by day. Essentially, I know it's I know it's late, but I finally have found the time to watch the tweet a second time to so really take notes on it. Taj Washington, his teammate to me, is a much more explosive receiver in terms of the short area explosiveness. Much better at getting off the line and is also much better at creating natural separation as a route runner than Brendan Rice. So I I know that Rice got the senior bowl invite. Taj Washington didn't. Taj Washington is going to be probably the favorite receiver for some NFL teams based on what he does for his size profile. I I could definitely see that as well. Guys like Taj, I think... Uh, have been winning a little bit more, but the NFL still will always like players, you know, what Brendan Rice brings to the table. So they want uh, the big X's. They don't want the slot receivers. No, they don't. And I've fallen into that trap sometimes too. Just you fall in love with the size. And uh, uh, not for Rice, though, for me personally. But next up, Peyton Wilson, linebacker, NC State, a prospect we were talking about two years ago as, oh, he's going to be one of these top linebackers. Uh, some medical concerns. And then he continued to get injured and like, I don't even know what happened uh, during his 2022 season, but no buzz at all. And then 2023 uh, really was uh, as good as you get at linebacker in the country. So uh, Peyton Wilson, linebacker, NC State. Yeah, so Wilson, team captain this past year, ACC defensive player of the year, Dick Buckus award winner, Chuck Benaric award winner. The reason why he's not getting a lot of first-round hype as well, the medical history. He missed 2018, so his freshman year, he missed the spring practice rehabbing from a torn ACL he suffered in high school. He then tore an ACL that same year in 2018 and in the summer and had to redshirt. 
So he had two torn ACLs immediately before he ever played a college football game. Uh, left the 2019 Clemson game and missed the Louisville game in 2019. He had surgeries on both sh- both of his shoulders in 2021 that caused him to miss spring workouts. He suffered a season-ending shoulder injury then in 2021. In the season after having the surgeries against Mississippi State, he missed 2022 spring practices rehabbing from that surgery. And then he played several games with a knee brace this past year. So the injuries are... Uh, it's it's wild, man. There's the most injured player I've seen from like quality prospect in a long time. I gave him a mid-second, early third-round grade, not taking too much of the medicals into account with that because, again, I'm not a doctor. Uh, I That being said, we can tell the medicals are probably pretty bad based on what I just said, but uh, ignoring medicals, I still gave him a mid-second, early third-round grade. He's a veteran college linebacker. We got the leadership traits, a terrific motor, elite athletic abilities, but obviously the injury history is huge. And he didn't really play as large of a role in coverage as I was hoping he would. You actually go back and watch his coverage profile. It's very limited. And people think will say, well, he's got the athletic traits to expand his role in coverage. I would argue that when he was asked to play a larger role in coverage in college, it did not work out well. So I think that's why I have him ranked a little bit lower than some people would, uh, even with the medicals. And so I think advancing that area, advancing coverage, and taking on, uh, advancing his block deconstruction and taking on a larger plate of coverage assignments would really be big for him in terms of his development. Uh, those are my main concerns with him. Again, coverage is not fantastic for him, and he's not great at deconstructing blocks at this point in time. I know they talk about how strong he is, but, but in terms of his build, he still looks a little bit leaner, doesn't really have the true power in the run game to make a huge impact when he has to take on linebackers or take on offensive linemen uh, who are climbing to his position. He does have some of the agility to kind of jump around those blockers, but when he does get a guy in his lap, he doesn't really have the ability to deal with that at a high level. And then in terms of coverages, the concerns I had with him, uh, there were times where he would be out-leveraged and beaten uh, by guys running wheel routes and times. It just had issues covering slot options when he had to play in that role, which wasn't very often. He'd be out-leveraged up the seam, got very grabby in man coverage, and didn't really trust his athleticism and coverage. Uh, you can see he took poor angles as well, working in man coverage. So I, I have some concerns there. Uh, in terms of the positives, just freakish athlete with an excellent motor, true sideline to sideline player. Uh, the speed's excellent. The closing speed's great. The anticipation is really good for the most part in the run game. He's an explosive athlete despite all the injuries he's suffered with great closing burst. Uh, he's going to be like an ideal spy for mobile quarterbacks in the NFL because he has that kind of speed to keep up with those players. Uh, had a lot of experience as a blitzer at North Carolina State where he's actually developed a decent level of bend and explosiveness and some pass rush repertoire with quick and active hands to really give you uh, upside as a blitzer. And then in the run game, just a very smart player where he approaches how to fill gaps and reading plays out. So like, he's a really quality player. You can see all the experience he's built up. Uh, but I, I don't feel really great with him in coverage. And I don't think he's got the size right now to really be a great player in the run on defense because he can't deconstruct blocks at a high level. Again, if he never got injured, same age though, you know, 2018 class is a long time ago. Um, we, he, I, I, I just have no idea where he ends up, right? This is a, a difficult position that 
he he this isn't like you know a guy was injured a couple like he's injured every single year and it's not like he's only been in college for three years like this is 2018 through 2023 this is a very long time that he has been injured and and dating back to high school he can't stay healthy just because he has you know one year or you know a a a collective amount of games or ah, how do you take a guy like that top 100 do you think he ends up top 100 (laughs) Like I, I, we're not doctors, right? But just like he can't stay healthy no matter what. He's got the injury bug. I don't know if you can take him top on really. I don't think medically you can justify. It. But at the same time, if he's sitting there like eighty, and this is the linebacker class, like the linebacker class is bad, by the way. It's a bad linebacker class. If this guy's sitting there at pick eighty, how do you not say? Well, screw it. If we're a team that has four top under picks, why not we just take this guy and hope he turns out to be like give us five to six years of quality NFL play? Like that's that's the way I view it. Like you get this guy in the building, they'll be a ready to day one start for you for a lot of teams because they have a lot of poor linebackers in the NFL right now. He could be a day one starter for you. And if you get five or six years out of him, that probably justifies the top under pick. So it's kind of tough to say for sure where he ends up. Yeah, I kind of like to fit Dallas in the third round. They've uh, been keen to some guys with injury. See, you just went through it. I didn't even realize that he had the high school one. Like, this is this is never ending. The the <laughs> one thing I will say though, it really didn't see. Like, it's not like he lost the step or anything. He seems fine when he's out there, and he's not coming off of an injury. Like, he didn't get injured this. He didn't finish the season with an injury this past year. I, I think the late third round's the highest. Eventually, just get to the point where he's so much better than the rest of the linebacker options that you know you're a playoff caliber team that needs a linebacker like, like Dallas. If we could get, if he could be a productive rookie and second year player, like that, that's all. <laughs> like right, like he's gonna give us a, the best shot to win a Super Bowl at linebacker, and we can you know start playing guys who aren't safeties out there. So I, I think that would be a team, right? You know, pairing with Damone Clark. They took Damone Clark, who had, you know, the uh, injuries as well, as well, granted, on day three. But, yeah, I think Payne Wilson's just... The tape's awesome, right? Yeah, there are some issues still. You know, he's not this first-round caliber prospect, but in a weak linebacker class, if he was healthy, he'd be a, you know, a, a, easily a top-50 pick. And so... There's a massive drop off in the third round where it's a lot of guys who say, I don't view them as future NFL starters. I view them as a starter as a rookie. And so, I mean, I guess, I guess you better for a guy who came out in 2018 with his injury history. You better view him as, a, as, a, as an NFL starter if you're going to take him that high. But yes, uh, I think Peyton Wilson probably hears his name called in the third round. I wouldn't be shocked if we're sitting there in the fifth, sixth round. No, it's just like no team cleared him. All right, the shoulder. It's gonna. It's done, or right. The knee's been a problem, or something. So uh, we'll see with him. But it's, it's a lot of it will do. To yeah. Him. Imagine. Imagine he goes undrafted. Like that's gonna be one of the most expensive UDFA contracts for a player sign. It's gonna Carson Strong. It could be wild. I remember him, that. Carson Strong, a couple years ago. Uh, he was in. Oh my The gosh. Eagles. What did he get? Like ninety k. The Eagles paid a lot of money, I think, for him. I can't remember, but. He couldn't play. His ACL was done, which is crazy uh, to think about. I don't think it will be that extreme with Peyton Wilson, but I don't know, right? He could be... I could see a team taking him. If you just medically declare him and like, screw the high, high school and college injury history and his age, we need a starting linebacker, and our doctor says he's fine, 
which obviously probably won't happen. But then, yeah, sure, I could see him going in the second or, or third round. I could see him going undrafted, right? I, I don't, I don't know. Carson Strong got $320,000 guaranteed with a $20,000 signing bonus. Yeah, it's a lot of money. three hundred twenty grand, right? And it was like his knees, like you heard things like his knee is done. Like he's he can only play like two more years. And then he, he wasn't good enough talent-wise, um, but he still had the injuries. So he, he recently retired from football. So you see how big these medicals become. It's awful because Peyton's a phenomenal player, but we'll see there. Uh, next up, Trevin Wallace, linebacker, Kentucky. Someone I was stunned declared. I did not expect him to. But it's a weak linebacker class, so uh, I think with some of the other guys going back, I think uh, it wasn't a terrible decision for him to come out. Yeah, I give him a late third to mid-fourth round grade. I think there's a chance he sneaks into the top 100 because he does have some developmental traits that you like. Uh, really long arms, good overall size. I think he has the tools and athleticism to develop into a starting caliber NFL linebacker, but his lack of experience limits his current level of play. Uh, he's a traits based day three pick for me, early day three pick who could maybe be a late day two, uh, depending on which team is drafting for him. He's got really good arm. Like, let me figure out what the the measurables came in. At. Uh, I should have written it down here somewhere, but I guess 33 inches. So that's pretty good overall for a linebacker. This is a Feldman's freaks list guy uh, with obviously a ton of weight room heroics as well. Supposedly hit 22 miles per hour on the GPS. Uh, so a very athletic player here. So again, it's just a, a true, just a true junior declaring for the draft. Uh, I think he's got room on his frame to add some mass. He's got above average speed and range in the run and pass game. Good closing burst, good pursuit range. He's an explosive downhill run defender who wants to meet the running back in the hole and deliver a big hit. His vision to the backfield really improved this past year, so he's seeing plays a lot better. He's fitting the run a lot better. He's actually got a nice little shuffle move he's developing to actually help him get around offensive tackles in the run game. Uh, he's a physical finisher with a good tackle race and a wrap-up form tackler. Uh, and he gains good depth in coverage, actually. He's got really nice range and zone, despite not being highly experienced in coverage. I think the athletic traits he has given him the upside to potentially cover tight ends. He matched up with Brock Bowers a couple of times in both zone and man coverage this past year. And I think those were some of his best coverage rips from the entire season came against Brock Bowers. So I like what I saw from him on tape. Uh, I still think his body needs to fill out. He's still a little bit lean. He has a tendency to open his hips too early in the play, which can cause some uh, delays trying to redirect because he just is reacting too quickly and not being patient enough. Uh, he will run himself out of position at times. He does fall from misdirection in the backfield. And he gets does get drawn downhill by play action to open throwing lanes over his head. Uh, right now, he is displaced by climbing off offensive linemen and does not shed blocks at a high level because of his hand placement is being too wide at times to really help with block deconstruction. And his hands are not violent or rapid enough right now to help out in that area. Uh, but once you get past that, I think it's a lot of discipline stuff. Like I mentioned, falling for eye manipulation getting drawn down hill with play action, that kind of stuff. Once you get past that and really iron that out with experience, working that hand usage and, and block deconstruction, you're going to have a starting caliber linebacker, in my opinion. I, yeah, I put a fourth on him. You you worry about some of the aspects of, yeah, probably should have come back to improve some of that stuff. But um, I, yeah, I, I also thought, yeah, like there started offside there. Bruce Feldman's freak list guy. I think he's going to test well. Those Kentucky guys tend to do that. He's not a day one starter to me, so that's why I, I think he's a fourth round pick. But does that go in the third round? Right. That, that's I think the question that both of us would have about him. Does he go 
And like, if Dorian Williams can last year, if DeMarvin Overshone uh, can as well, those were two guys late in the third. Why not with him? I think it's a very similarly bad linebacker class. And so uh, I think that there's definitely a shot between like 85 and 105. He's off the board, but preferably uh, early day three would be where I'd like to take him. So uh, good player, though. Uh, just really surprised he came out. Yeah, I like to say it's it's an up it's an upside shot. You're kind of going yeah. for you're kind of swinging for the fences here and hope it hits. I agree. Next up, Tyler Davis, player who uh, there was. I remember uh, the the buzz on him after uh, his freshman year, and I think I was still in high school then. So uh, <laughs> now Tyler <laughs> Davis, the draft prospect, finally coming out, uh, Senior Bowl prospect. Short arms definitely uh, have been a concern for a, a while, but uh, what were your overall thoughts on his film? Yeah, sub sub 31 inch arms are going to be really hard to overlook. Those 30 and 6 eighth inch arms, that's not great, especially for a player who's six is just over six foot one, like close to 6'2", 299 pounds, so doesn't have the really ideal size. Uh, I gave him a mid-fifth to early sixth round grade, one of the more disappointing players to watch. In this class, he could be a disruptive bull rusher next to his low pad level and leg drive, but his injury history and lack of ideal athletic traits firmly take him out of the top 100 conversation for me. I can still be a nice rotational contributor, but he's not a player who I think you're going to project to be ever be a full-time starter in the NFL. Uh, so some of the pauses for him is quick off the line, decent hip flexibility too, nice natural leverage, relentless leg drive. He maintains a low pad level in bull rushing, has a good two-arm bull rush. Nice hand placement. He's also got a rip move, a swim move, and a club move in his bag as far as pass moves go. And he pulls and replaces his hands quickly. Uh, he's able to kind of get skinny and split blocks as well. He's the power mismatch when he gets opportunities to play against centers. Uh, and he's really good at creating space for his teammates on stunts. He's got a hot motor in pursuit with good pursuit speed too. Uh, and he's quick to disengage from blocks and redirect to the football. Some of the negatives. I already mentioned the physical concerns, undersized, the arm length. He's got an injury history. He's been banged up basically every year. Uh, his explosiveness is average at best sometimes. The athleticism is, is good, but not great. He's not a very sudden or twitchy player. Uh, there are some reps where he just doesn't have it, really. Like There are some reps where clearly just things are not going to go well. Too many non-impact plays as a pass rusher. He kind of gets caught pinballing around, doesn't really have a great pass rush plan. Uh, all those stunts he had at Clemson really helped cover for his arm length. He didn't have to engage right away. But that arm length does cause the bull rush to stall out and help offensive linemen reestablish their hands and leverage on him. And when offensive linemen land the first punch, he really just does not, does not get going again. So he cannot win reps where he does not land the first punch. Doesn't have an instant win pass rush move. Uh, not enough counters to really help himself out when his rush stalls. His hands aren't urgent enough. It doesn't have great play strength. Uh, and really struggles to break the clamps of offensive linemen because he doesn't have that tremendous arm length, and he can get pushed vertically on run plays out of gaps. Uh, so just a, a rotational guy at best, as I would say. I, I don't think he's an NFL starter. Uh, yeah, I'm even lower than that. I, I think his upside could be the last D-tackle in your uh, room. If there's no one else I'm sitting there in the seventh round, maybe, but uh, I just I worry a lot about the arm length, right? You talk about how it, it shows up when things aren't schemed to to help him. And I, I think when you extrapolate that and then 
I thought he was pretty mediocre at the senior bowl. He's just a late round guide to me at this point in his career. I was I was lower on him. I'm not a I'm not a Clemson hater. Uh just was a little bit lower on Tyler Davis. I think, yeah, so you still see fourth round buzz. Uh, I just totally am uh, way out on anything higher than, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh round, which anyone can go in that range and I'm not going to be mad, you know. So, uh, yeah, Tyler Davis. That was uh, the last of the 2024 prospects for this episode. Our first 2025 evaluation for the podcast, a Missouri offensive lineman, Armand Membo. Uh, plays right tackle for them currently. What were your takeaways for uh, the initial 2025 prospects we'll be talking about? Yeah, so it doesn't have any uh, really significant injury history from what I could tell. So that's a good start. I gave him a top 40 grade. Uh, obviously, we're early in the process, so grading system for next year is going to be worked out a little bit. But I think the top 40 player right now, ton of projection built into that, but you kind of have to do that at this point. Uh, he's a rising star with a terrific physical tools. And he could be one of the top offensive linemen in this 2025 draft. I think his footwork and hand use are still in their developmental stages, but his tape is fun. And you saw a ton of flashes that could project for him being a top 40 player or even a first-round pick next year. Some of the positives, he's got background going back to high school playing guard. And they were actually thinking about playing him at guard that going into this past year. Turned out his best spot ended up being tackle for them. So he's got positional versatility. He's got a thick upper body with room to add some mass to his frame. Really powerful and impressive player right now for a guy who just finished up his true sophomore season. Uh, so he's already a really powerful guy. An NFL caliber arm length, I believe, at tackle. Uh, explosive out of his, out of his stance. And explosive, enough, explosive enough first step to be able to match and mirror some wide-angle rushers. Gains really good depth and pass pro to counter some of those guys who are rushing from like wide nine positions. Uh, good agility and nimbleness to carry guys up the arc. He adjusts his foot speed to match and mirror the tempo of the rusher. He's good at redirecting and picking off late blitzers. I think the outside hand is really impressive in terms of the placement and pass pro. He's solid at framing blocks, and he's good at attacking and countering long arm moves. He's got a really nice snatch trap, too. His snatch trap is very polished for a player who was only in his second year in college. Uh, not as a Aggressive at times in the run game. I think his, his aggressiveness, this is my main concern with him, his aggressiveness and his desire to maul the guy across from him and really be that dominant player kind of comes and goes. You saw games like uh, at South Carolina and LSU where he was creating a lot of movement, a lot of space in the run game where he was finishing guys to the ground. And you had opportunities then in other games where he really wasn't doing that. Like Tennessee. Tennessee was getting pushed around a lot more, I thought. Uh so it kind of comes and goes in terms of the mauler mentality, the ability to be an impact run blockers up and down at times. He does tend to slip off run blocks at times, uh, blocks at times in the run game. Doesn't take the best angles to run blocks, and can sometimes miss those second level targets. Uh, there are opportunities where he does get stacked and shed in one on one blocking situations in the run game. That's really an area I want to see him improve on. And I mentioned uh, at times where he, there are times where he does have to open his hips to kind of carry guys vertically and be able to like, chase them up and around the pocket. So he does get stressed vertically at times. Uh, his base, this is the big issue, his base and pass protection becomes way too narrow. So his footwork does need to be reworked. That only happens when he's engaging the defender. Uh, funny enough, he tends to narrow his base just too much. And that can lead to him being overpowered or make him vulnerable to some pass rush moves. He just has to refine that, keep a wide base, but engage with the defender in pass protection. 
but overall, I, I do like this player a lot. I think a lot of this is fixable. You just have to iron this out with more reps and more consistent coaching. Do you think his best fit is at tackle or guard in the NFL? I think he can play tackle in the NFL. This might be a situation where we're talking like a his build reminded me a little bit more of like what you his base specifically lower body reminded me more of like an Amarius Bims type build. But I think you might see a situation where it's like a JC Latham situation where you might say, okay, entering the year, we know he can play guard, but we also believe he can play tackle. He just has to show it to us one more time. I would still play him. I would still try to play him at tackle right now. Uh, but I think it's a situation where at worst you're getting a good guard. You might be getting a really good tap. No, oh, his, his LSU tape was phenomenal. It was the first game I watched, and I said, "Wow!" Uh, I originally gave him to you during the season to do, and I didn't realize he wasn't a redshirt sophomore. I, I thought he was. I was like, "Oh, I found a guy," and then I looked, and it was, "Oh no, he just was a, a, a starter as a freshman uh, in the SEC, which is, is pretty impressive." And then that LSU tape was some of the best film I've seen from an offensive tackle this past year. So uh, definitely glad you liked him. Last question on him. Are you, in terms of it's going back this summer, you mentioned Latham. Are you higher on him uh, going into the junior year or J.C. Latham? I'm a little higher on Nemu going into the junior year. I think he showed more agility and nimbleness and pass pro than Latham did last year. I agree. I think he's got a chance to be uh, a superstar for next year's draft. So that was Brendan Rice, wide receiver, USC, Peyton Wilson, linebacker, NC State, Trevin Wallace, linebacker, Kentucky, Tyler Davis, defensive tackle, Clemson, and our first 2025 prospect, Armand Membu out of Missouri. Thank you for listening to the Draft Report. Catch us every Wednesday talking all things NFL draft related.